This is the Dare to Dream Physician Travel Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Waylee Gray. Hey, you know how many physicians today are feeling overwhelmed and trapped living that busy and unfulfilling life? Yet more than ever, we as physicians are keenly aware that life is precious and tomorrow is not guaranteed to anyone. My mission is to help physicians start living their best life now by discovering and achieving their wildest travel dreams. So come, join us on this journey. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Dare to Dream Physician Travel Podcast. I I'm just get like more and more excited every week when we do a podcast because I, I just get such amazing guests and they bring all these cool topics. And I can't wait to share with you this week's podcast. I have a very special position and we are going to talk about Egypt. I have never been to Egypt. I don't know if you have, but even if you have, you don't want to miss this conversation because we are going to talk about food and Egypt, and she just went there recently. So even if you had gone, things might have changed many times. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Heather Awad. Thanks so much for having me. So Dr. Heather, tell us a little bit about yourself and what do you do? What kind of doctor are you and how are you helping people nowadays? Sure. I am a family doctor and also a weight loss coach. So I help professional women over 50 lose weight for the last time. I was one of those people who did okay with their weight until like their late 40s. And then all of a sudden the scale started to climb and the old ways of keeping my weight normal didn't work anymore. So I got really worried, but I, being a doctor, I dove into the research and kind of figured out what was going on at this perimenopause, menopause age that causes weight gain. And, and then I lost 27 pounds. And, and this is what I help other women do is lose that weight to get back in their healthy lifestyle. But I also love to travel, which is why I wanted to talk to you. And most of my clients love to travel. So we talk a lot about what to eat when we travel or what strategies to think about for eating during travel, but also super excited to talk about Egypt because I got to go there last winter. This is so great. And I love that this is what you're doing. And first of all, how you had this problem and you help yourself with this problem. And now you are set to help others with the same problem. And I'm not quite there yet in age because I'm still in my early 40s. For now, I can say that. I think eventually I'm going to have to say mid 40s. But I, I hear that is a very common problem. Like women who never struggle with their weight and then they get near menopause and they're like, oh my goodness, I thought all the patients that were coming in complaining of this problem was just making stuff up or they like didn't have strong enough of a will. And wow, this is happening to me. And they were right. It's it's much harder when your hormones change. So I I love that this is the population that that you're helping. And, and I, I'm just trying to imagine when someone is concerned about their weight and they love travel, like how how you can wet the two because as a foodie that would be that would be like my utmost priority like how do I feel like I'm staying healthy 
but at the same time, enjoy one of the things that I travel for, which is food, especially the, the local foods. Right, right. And that's what we all want to do, right? We even prep ahead of time, which foods do we want to eat? Like when I went to Egypt, I was like, I want to try their hummus because maybe it's different than how we make it at home. And their grilled meats and kebabs. And I was really excited about that. And I, you know, my in-laws make Egyptian food and I would thought, well, what kind of vegetables do they actually serve when you're in Egypt? And so you, we have these ideas ahead of time of what we want to have. And, and we also want to feel good on the trip. And I think that, I don't know if, you know, maybe in your early forties, you don't notice this yet, but when you hit 50, you really notice how your food makes you feel as well. Absolutely. I, I actually noticed that when I was in my teens and twenties, one of my I don't know if it's a fond memory, but it's a vivid memory of I didn't really like the cafeteria food in college. And and like I, I rice was sort of like what I grew up with as my grain. And then I didn't really they, they just had this undercooked rice. So I would eat pasta, but there wasn't it. This was back in the time where like carbs were good and like not fats were bad and no one even thought about protein. And I would just have this humongous bowl of pasta with marinara sauce, which probably had sugar in it as well. And I I would eat it for lunch or dinner. And I'm like, I really have to do homework after this, but I cannot stay awake. <laughs> so I I would just get so sleepy and I'm like, I can't do my homework. I can't read the hundred pages that I'm supposed to read because I'm so sleepy. And it would just happen again and again. And it's funny how it took me a while to make that connection. Right. But it, but it's so true, isn't it? The the even like on trips, I tell people don't you don't want to just have a big pastry for breakfast because you'll be so tired all morning and you've got plans like you've got a, a tour to do or, you know, something you want to go see. And so I really encourage people to have some protein and some vegetables with every meal. And if you can't get vegetables, fruit is good, too. But to have those things because they really will keep you going, you'll feel satisfied and, and you'll feel energized for the things that you're going to go see. Yeah, I, I love that tip. So so tell us, because you're you're basically like an expert in this area of eating and, and staying healthy, what were what did you do like when you're preparing to go on this trip? Did you did you research what kind of foods they have? How did you prepare? I did just think through what the Egyptian foods were that I wanted to eat. And obviously because I we have this in our in my married family, I have knew a lot of them. And so, and thinking about the things that I especially wanted to try. So since we don't have the advantage of being married to the Egyptian family, at least most <laughs> of us who are listening, can you tell us and just educate us on what, what, what is the Egyptian cuisine like? Sure. They definitely eat meat and a lot of beans though, as well, like chickpeas is a good part of their diet. A lot of vegetables are cooked in tomato sauce, which is very delicious because of simmer it for a long time. And everything has some great spices like za'atar and cumin, if you like those. But also there was much more garlic in the food than I expected because maybe they just cook it different there than, than my in-laws cook it. But I loved that because I, I love garlic. So hummus is also another big one. If you are familiar with shawarma, it's kind of like, it's very similar to gyros meat. It's something that's cooked on a spit and then shaved. The meat is shaved off from there. And they also use a cucumber sauce. So lots of vegetables. They eat a lot of fresh fruit. It's warm there. It's North Africa. 
So there were, and as a traveler, there were many fruits that you could, that you could peel. So you could have papaya or mango that was safe to eat there. Because I know when we go to these other countries, sometimes we're not sure what we can have that's fresh. But like I said, fruits that can be peeled were there. And so those were the things I was really looking for. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you for taking us on that astronomic tour. Because <laughs> as you're saying it, I'm, I'm just like picturing the garlic and the za'atar spices and like the, the hummus. Like it makes me really want to go there and eat it. <laughs> they had a lot of savory breakfast stuff. Like they have eggs, but they also have a bean dish called fool. Uh, which is fava beans with that's cooked and simmered with spice like fresh spices and and then again often tomato, and that was delicious too. Mm-hmm. Really sticks with you all, all morning. <laughs> and what I'm hearing is as you're describing these things, it it sounds pretty healthy. Your advice of yeah, eat eat something with protein, eat something with vegetable, and you want the pastry, do that too. It sounds like it wouldn't be that hard to immerse yourself in that local food culture and stay healthy. Definitely. And it's fun to even watch. We always hear in the United States, eat the Mediterranean diet and to watch it there on display. And I have to admit, you were just telling me that. And I had to look up Egypt on a map, even though I know where it is on the map, but I just, the relationship of where it is. and, And I, there was so much frontage on the Mediterranean Sea. So when you were referring to the Mediterranean diet, I, I never connected, like I think of Italy and, and Greece and Spain mm-hmm. with as the Mediterranean diet, but I, it never occurred to me that Egypt had really is also right on the Mediterranean. Right. Because that North Africa part is also just on the other, just across the sea from Greece and Italy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. And of course, like we're all dying to know about their the other parts of the trip, but since this is your passion, like I let's start with the food, right? And it's my passion too. So, so you described to us some of the foods that you've encountered. Did you one of the things that I love about traveling is also just just understanding the food culture because I as someone who I come from the Chinese culture. So as a child, it was very apparent to me that the Chinese food culture is very different from American food culture. And of course American food culture is sort of like like a melting pot of everything. But just like even comparing my husband's family, who's just more of an American culture family, like their eating is very different from our eating culture. So what can you give us some maybe like pearls that you gathered from from the Egyptian food culture? Sure. I mean, they're definitely a food is love culture. So when someone someone wants to cook for you, if you're coming over, they want to serve food, they feel bad if they can't give you some food. We we went and saw the we had I before we got on, I told you we had some travel snafus. So we with our flight, so we ended up seeing my husband's cousins on a different day than we intended. And they couldn't cook for us that day. And so there were lots of apologies that they couldn't cook for us because we met at a restaurant to fit everyone's schedules. And so there was definitely that part that we were going to gather around food, but they were very sorry they couldn't actually cook for us that day. And we had to come back so that they could cook for us another time. And that's just a way to gather the family, which I think is a lot of cultures have that. Mm. Food is love culture. Yeah. And and is that is is would you say that that's also part of the American food culture? What 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 have you seen from your clients who are working on their eating habits? 
I really think it depends on the food, the family you grew up in. My growing up culture, I mean, we gathered around, we gathered around meals, but I wouldn't say that there was as much expectation that you had to eat everything. And I can have my kids over, my grown kids over now we can do, and we can go for a walk. And if I haven't told them there's going to be a meal, then there isn't. But my husband always feels like we should, we should make some food for them. So I think it depends. Mm, Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I see a mix with my clients too, just depending on what their parents did and what their grandparents did. Mm. Yeah. Anything, anything else about even you describe the foods that are available, but like, how did people choose? What do I have for breakfast and what do I have for lunch and dinner and how much to eat during each meal like that? I find that to be quite variable across cultures. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure I can speak to their culture. When I, when I counsel people, I try to coach them about a weight neutral trip. And not that a lot of your audience isn't trying to lose weight, but it's a, it gives you a mindset where you try all the things and where you don't restrict yourself and you always eat if you're hungry, but it also, you don't overeat at every moment because we don't end up feeling well when we do that either. You might have one really big special meal where you're like, oh, my tummy. But if you do that every meal, then you, again, start to feel that sluggishness. And you're thinking, oh, I had the stuff we wanted to do this afternoon, but now I just feel like taking a nap. So, you know, again, just thinking about being really reasonable about the amounts you eat really helps with feeling good on your trip. Mm-hmm. I love that. And it sounds like that's a lot of the work you do with your clients is helping them be aware of how how they're feeling, depending on what they're eating. Yes. Yeah. And most in, if people are in the middle of trying to lose weight and then they go on a trip, they're worried that they're going to gain 10 pounds when they go to a, on a, somewhere. So that's why I would try to just keep it really reasonable and make it a joyful trip. And no trip you're going to go on, you're going to really lose weight on and because then you'd be restricting yourself and that just doesn't make any sense to do Mm. you're out of your element you're out of your home life where you can have where you have your usual habits so you just want to eat nourish yourself enjoy the food and not overdo it all the time Mm. that's such a good point yeah i i like what you're saying about that because I was just thinking of my recent trip to Taiwan and like when I told some of my close friends, I'm going to Taiwan in in in, in May and June, they're like, can you bring the food back? Like it's it's such a foodie <laughs> destination that like, and I was like, I didn't even know that Taiwan, I mean, I'm like, there are different reasons why I wanted to go there, but it didn't occur to me that most people are like, oh, the food. And but it's true. It, there there was like all this amazing food. Of course, that made sense because Taiwan is the Chinese culture and any Chinese culture is so centered around food. And 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 so I would go there and then the first I remember like my first meal, like on my first full day there, I'm like, this is such good food. And it wasn't like fancy food. It was just it was more like street food. But I'm like, this is so good. And I definitely overate because I felt like you said sluggish. <laughs> like my belly was really heavy and my whole body felt sluggish. And I probably the next day I didn't eat, like I still enjoy the food that I didn't overeat because I realized, hey, I have 12 more days here. I can, I can, I can just take it easy and enjoy, enjoy the food. But I like that despite, especially for your clients, despite the goal of, okay, like I would, I would like to lose weight, but incorporating that, like making that sustainable so that you don't feel restrictive when you're, when you're traveling. 
And there were some fun things too that were that are related to food that aren't eating food too. Like we were on the Nile cruise and one of our our guide was a a local man who lived in one of the towns and he said, "Oh, it's he said we're in Luxor and he said Luxor is a very safe town. You should go out at night and to the markets." And so we went and there were spice stalls out too with big piles of cumin and many other spices, even just chili pepper and things that are some things that are familiar, some things that are new. And that was really fun to go out and see. That is so cool. So the people who are selling the spices, they they like they grow the spices and they grind them or how I, I've seen some of these spice markets before when I was traveling in Central Asia. It's, I'm always so curious about where did because for us we buy spices. It's on a shelf. It's in like a bottle. So that's so fascinating to be able to go directly to a market and and see them sell the spices. It was. And some of it we knew was local. Some of it I don't know, but they had hibiscus flowers that are dried that you can make a tea out of. And that's definitely a local thing that they, from Egypt. So it was fun to get a bag of that to bring home and tea and remember. So. Yeah, it's such a good point. And, and so Similar, like when I was traveling to Taiwan, there were night markets or like famous in mm-hmm. Taiwan. And a lot of it is, is for the food. And and of course, like we're walking through this whole market. There's no way I can try everything. But there is yeah. just one thing about taking in the, the smells and the sight and maybe seeing other people eat it. There's just you get it's it's when you're cooking, you don't necessarily need to eat a lot of this and you almost feel full. I think it's because you're it's like taking in the senses of, of the food and enjoying it. So. Yeah, I think that's that's a very good point. Very lovely. So, Ari, and so I want to know when I'll ask you like one more question about food and then we can talk more about the sites that you went to and, and your other the, the the travel experience. But was there was there one food that you discovered one food Egyptian, even though you married into an Egyptian family, but did you discover like an item that now when you go home, like you want to make more of or eat more of this? I really like kofta, which is like a meatball, but they make it if you when you think about kebabs, it's usually like pieces of meat on top of it that people thread on that has been marinated and cooked. But this is actually like taking a meatball and putting it on a stick so it's like a ground meat with lamb and lots of spices. I really love that. So I want to do that more at home. I think it's so fascinating how when you travel to a different part of the world, they they if, if you eat meat, they, that they have like different meats, right? I would never think of making lamb kebab or lamb meatball, but it's like, there and I would never even think to like try try it, but if it's right there and that's that's what they serve, it's it's well, I might as well try it here. <laughs> and and I always get surprised because I'm like, I don't usually like lamb because it has that yummy taste to it. But when you add spices, then it can taste totally different than what you expect. Yeah, it's really good. Well, that's that's really great. So I wanna move to just learning more about this trip. So tell, who did you go on this trip with? How did you, well, you, you mentioned that you, your husband, your husband's family is from Egypt. So, but how did you, how did you plan this trip? Who, who, who went on this trip and like, where did you go? Yeah. So we set it up through a Egyptian tour company that I got recommended from a, a couple other doctors, of course. <laughs> and I set it up so that it was 
some of my adult and teen kids were able to come along. We had some friends that wanted to go that we had traveled with before. And then a couple of my husband's siblings also wanted to come with their kids. Oh, wow. Don't uh, really well, too. It's funny. We invited them and weren't sure they would want to do it. And they just were like, oh, yeah, you're, you're planning it. We're coming. So <laughs> love that. I love how you can incorporate travel and make it like a family experience, like an extended family yeah. and friends and experience. How you know what? What a fun, memorable thing! Definitely, and we had some trouble getting there. We were we were on different flights, and so there was a group of us who are we were supposed to go to Paris and then Cairo, and and our flight to Paris got canceled. And they were like, "Well, it's going to be a couple days before you can go." And this was over winter break. Oh, you know where this was that winter like that craziness during winter travel when all yes. these cancel them because of the weather yes so part of the trip is part of the people are on their way there and i who have <laughs> planned the trip is at home in minnesota with some of the siblings so the question was should we just cancel now because we're going to lose a day but some of our close friends were there and some of the siblings were there and so we just decided that we were going to go anyway we talked to our own kids and one of the siblings decided not to go and to they're just going to reschedule and go another time. But we just decided this is part of the adventure. Things happen. We're just going to get there. So we were, we, it was a lot of phone calling with the airline, but we, we made it. Wow. And how many days total was this trip planned for? It was supposed to be, it was supposed to be nine days because of school schedules and mm-hmm. leaving right after Christmas and so we were ended up being there more six. Mm-hmm. So so I can see why there was that dilemma because that's sort of like, wow, it's it's even if you miss give it to a nine day trip and then you missed a day or two of like cutting it by by a significant amount. Like we went to Cairo first. So we missed the Cairo Museum and my kids went to Egypt and did not see the pyramids. So <laughs> but at well, least to that. Egypt. Yeah. We'll have to go back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. And and so is there anything so you mentioned like at, at one point you thought, well, maybe I should just cancel the trip because I can't go. And what was was it because of the uncertainty because or, or just because you didn't have did you not have a ticket for two days from now to go? Like they were just saying maybe in two days. What was that process like? Yeah, they were saying a lot of maybe. And I think a lot of people got that last December. And so we literally, I feel like my husband or I was waiting on hold for the airline for the next 24 hours. We actually went home and then just slept overnight. We're like, okay, we got to either do this or not do it. So we were able to do it. We couldn't find, we even looked at other airlines, we couldn't find anything. And they eventually... It's funny because you'll have one person who will say, no, we can't make it happen because it was five of us. And then eventually one person said, oh, I got you. Here you are. So tell us how you got to that person, because that's really important. These are such good tips. Honestly, it was persistence. I mean, we fly, we live in Minnesota, so Delta is our hub. And as this happened across airlines at that time, so being delayed was not their fault. But we, because we fly them a lot, we had a, a status where we could call the special phone number were you a silver, um, gold? What was your status? We were, we were gold at the time. Okay. And and so, but we still had to wait on hold because every, there were so many people delayed. And my husband even would get people who 
We're like, I think I can get you. I can think I can get you. And then business hours were over for that, for the phone number. And then he waited and, and then no flight came through. So, and you couldn't reach the person anymore. So next morning I was able that morning to get on. And so we did a lot of that. And so how long were you in this limbo period where you were persistently calling them and waiting and calling? Probably about, gosh, I mean, we gave the first night we just went home and slept, but then it was probably another 24 hours after that. Because I think we got the flight and then we we went to the airport that night. So wow. that's yeah. that, that's fantastic. Yeah, I love, I mean, I love that you shared this part of the trip where it didn't go right. And this is, so you first decided, okay, we are going to go for it. Like we, even though it's a 90 trip and we only now have seven or seven days left, like we're still going for it. And then once you decided that you just kept calling and even if you had to be put on hold, you just kept calling them. Yeah. That's just decided that for us, we had the, all the Cairo stuff and then you go to Luxor and get on the Nile cruise. And we thought if we can make the boat, we'll go. Cause that's mm-hmm. a five day, five day cruise. And, well, what, and so was that, what was that stake here? So the flight was delayed and this is so good for people who dread travel because they're like, what if things don't go right? So what did you lose the money on these reservations? Did you get like a his travel insurance and it got reimbursed or what, what, what can we expect if things like this happen? We did get travel insurance. It's funny because in the past, we haven't done that. We're just like, well, it'll work out somehow. But with since the pandemic, you always feel like you never know what's going to happen in this other country. I don't know if you are a travel insurance person nowadays, Whaley, but... It's so funny because when I, after, as we're coming out of the pandemic and I started doing like a bigger trip, because if I did a small trip, I'm like, okay, this is not a big deal if I lose the hotel or the first night of the hotel. But when we started, like we we went to the Virgin Islands, it was like our first trip as a family, like outside the continental U.S. And it was a pretty pricey house rental for 13 nights. So I did buy travel insurance specifically for those trips. Um, and then I got the Chase Sapphire Reserve. So one of the more travel perk credit cards with the higher annual fees that have that have the travel insurance built in. So that is what I have been using I haven't had to claim anything. I actually as I'm traveling more and more, I actually plan on getting a year-long policy because I think price-wise it's it's not that expensive when you consider how the more you travel the more likely you are going to have run into problems and and so tell us about how your experience was with this travel insurance. It was fine because we we used one of the websites that lets you look at different companies. And the the siblings that did not go on the trip, my husband's siblings that did not go on the trip, got full refunds of everything. And travel insurance is really good nowadays. You can pretty much get any reason things go wrong, you can cancel. And, and it's very affordable. And even just, I have to tell you this because I'm older than you. <laughs> A lot of people on that trip were over 50. And so people also got the, the medical, will life let you out if, you know, if somebody has a heart attack and needs to go home. Or any accident. Yeah, no, that is so important because you'll hear everyone's while you'll hear stories of people. They went skiing in some destination and now it costs $500,000 to try to fly them back. And they don't like they, they don't have the money to do that. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we were so that wasn't really the stake. It was just more. I don't know. You also have this feeling like you never know when you'll get to go back again. And 
best laid plans. You just never know what's going to happen. If you can go, just keep trying to get there. (laughs) That was part one of a two-part interview with Dr. Heather Awad. I'm just so grateful to have such an amazing guest on my podcast. And I cannot wait to share next week's episode with you. You're going to love it. So stay tuned. Hey, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, please share it with a friend and go on your favorite podcast app to give us a five-star rating and a review. It really helps us to get the word out there. Also, I am really excited to announce I've started a online Facebook community for physicians. Go and search for Dare to Dream Physician Travel. That's the name of the Facebook group. If you have trouble finding us, the link is also in the show notes. I hope to see you on the inside. 